Welcome to Tiger Paw Radio, the podcast that tackles all the challenges and opportunities of channel convergence. If you provide managed IT, managed print, VoIP, security, or other technology-driven services for your customers, this podcast is for you. Tiger Paw Radio, exploring channel convergence, one stripe at a time. Well, hello, everybody. Wes McDonald here, and welcome to another episode of TigerTube. And if you can't see us, that means you're listening in on Tiger Paw Radio. So thank you very much for that. Uh, super excited today. You'd have to have been sleeping under a rock if you haven't been watching the news and all of this uh, kerfuffle around uh, some of the developments in AI. And really excited today to have a guest uh, who has some expertise there in different ways. And Rick Reynolds, co-founder and CEO of Ask Forensics. How are you today? Doing well. How are you? Well, I'm great. And listen, uh, nobody knows you better than yourself, so maybe you could just introduce yourself briefly for audience. Maybe that's a good thing no one knows me better than myself. <laughs> As you mentioned, I'm co-founder and uh, CEO of Ask Forensics. Uh, Ask Forensics is a 19-year-old company. Our tagline is win, retain, and grow. And we find out uh, specifically why B2B sales pursuits are won and lost. We call that sales forensics as a brand name and why accounts are strong, vulnerable, and damaged. And our brand name for that is Account Forensics. Personally, I've been in the B2B sales and account intelligence space since the late 80s. Uh, our current business model started under a previous company when we were doing work for uh, a technology development group, a nonprofit called Patel Memorial Institute uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And, you know, we're both involved, you more than me, in the NPS uh, business, managed print services. My recollection is that uh, the tower is where the original Xerox technology was invented. And they had um, a venture capital arm, and they asked us to evaluate one of their portfolio companies. That company kept coming back for more and more funding. And they realized, you know, this company does not have a funding issue. They have a sales issue. So... We were asked to do follow-up on lost sales. I thought we would have doors slammed in our face and doors surprise. These executives at prospects that selected competitors were very open and engaging with us. And when we made the presentation, I mean, jaws were dropping because we were hearing different comments from some of the same people uh, the venture firm had debriefed themselves. And at their urging, we uh, built a business around it. And sold that in uh, the early 2000s and asked forensics, we cranked up around 2004, 2005 timeframe. And since then, we've evaluated more than $22 billion worth of total contract value when assessed by that metric. Wow. Uh, and, and our clients are a lot of Fortune 1000 companies along with small, medium businesses, medium-sized businesses, but just to name drop a few, uh, FedEx, Equifax, Hertz. Aramark, Coca-Cola, Sharp, Aon, and you know a lot of smaller but great, great logos. So that's a bit of background on me and uh, Ask Forensics. Well, that is quite the background. It's really neat to hear the the numbers. That twenty two billion is certainly a big one. And I'm wondering if you can share maybe with us how does Ask Forensic gather insights from client decision makers to help develop the analytics engine? Well, I really appreciate that question. Um, <clears throat> Our main deliverable uh, is individual 
uh, sales pursuit and account report. So using our branding, we, we complete a sales forensics on a win-loss, account forensics on, on the health of an account. So let's look at the health of an account. Uh, our clients by the executives we are to reach out to. And typically, you know, three to four executives at a very strategic level. We focus on the on the C-suite, EVP, SVP level executives. We want to be interviewing uh, at that decision maker level, the people driving budgets, driving strategies, not the day-to-day account leaders. And with that, we schedule one-on-one interviews. They range anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes each. And since we're evaluating or interviewing several executives at a given company, uh, we could have several hours worth of feedback in that one uh, evaluation. And by the way, on the account account health side, we find that 85% of all of the accounts that we assess are at risk to some level. So this means that there are issues percolating that at any point can rear their ugly heads and and cause clients to terminate early or invite competitors when the rebid time comes. So with that as background, uh, when we conduct an interview with an executive, one-on-one, as I mentioned, very open-ended, we're asking questions that elicit paragraphs of answers because the richness is in the key subtle that we hear. And, and that's how we uncover what our clients are hearing themselves. So we are getting these expansive answers. And about 13, 14 years ago, we realized, you know, we're sitting on a wealth of information. When we looked multi-client across everything that um, everyone we've supported, thousands of interviews. And so what we started doing was way back before anyone called it the cloud, we developed a cloud app internally for us where we could code every open-ended answer to every question that we ever asked. So we built this, taking the the qualitative comments, uh, we built uh, the platform to code them. So we built a statistical database of all of the you know data we've accumulated. So that's how we wanted, you know we, we've come up to the uh, number of twenty two billion dollars. And so we have the capability, any client uh, and multi-client applications as well to look at trends and themes. You know, what are the overarching systemic issues that cause accounts to be phase or uh, result in uh, lost sales opportunities? So that that's kind of how we realized that, you know, we're sitting on uh, quite an asset in terms of just expansive, rich data. Yeah, and I think it's great that you mentioned that you asked open-ended questions of these executives, right? And the amount of information that you get that way when you're really asking them to tell their story, uh, to tell you what they're experiencing and stuff and building that database over time, uh, that's incredible. And love hearing that you had your really kind of one of the first cloud instances uh, in the marketplace before it was even a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we self-designed. I mean, we kind of built that, but... Uh... Yeah, and 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 it, we use it to this day. I mean, it's it's a very robust um, application that's totally back end. I mean, we're the only ones who access it. But uh, yeah, that's that's what we've been doing. Wow, well, that's great. And and I wonder now, maybe we can expand a little bit. And you know, sort of when you look at uh, you know the over twenty two billion dollars worth of you know sales pursuits and stuff, how how have those been used uh, to sort of inform the development of the analytics engine? Well. <clears throat> Let's go back to around 2006, and and back then, 
we were approached by the chair of the marketing department at uh, Georgia State Univer University's business school. And there was a um, PhD student at Georgia State who was doing his dissertation on sales wins and losses. And Georgia State was aware of what we had been building. So they asked if we would make our data available. And we did. And, and it was really fascinating because you know, we use our data in a pragmatic way, right? I mean, we're, we're dealing with uh, uh, specific clients and pointing out the key big picture issues. And here was the academic uh, orientation to the data. And that was really kind of cool to be a fly on the wall as he had to defend uh, all of his findings and assumptions and everything. But it's through that effort uh, of working with Georgia State that, that I personally got to know a, a lot of professors and um, and over the years, they they were using our data agnostically to um, to publish. And what's kind of rewarding about that is, you know, you, if you know academic journals, you know they have peer reviews and they really get into the details. And and uh, our data has been used in many highly regarded academic journals um, for articles and things. So we we just knew that our data was very quality just through that effort alone. So. With that as background, several uh, months ago, I kind of had a little bit of an epiphany because I realized that, you know, while we have this statistical database, um, uh, the professors are using our, our open-ended comments. They were going through all of the qualitative uh, unstructured data. And I realized, you know, maybe uh, there is a way to harness that. And with the emergence of artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, I just thought, you know, maybe there's uh, this might be a better path than uh, looking at the stat data. So I reached out to Scott Friend, who's now uh, an assistant uh, associate professor. I need to make sure I get his title right. Associate, but <laughs> at uh, he did correct me at uh, Miami University's uh, Farmer School of Business, and uh, Scott and a colleague have been using our data to build a machine learning artificial intelligence application. And uh, they, they've gone pretty far on the sales forensics win-loss side of our data. And we've been working with them on the account forensics, i.e. account health side of the data. So um, that's kind of what transitioned us to looking at machine learning on unstructured data. Yeah, I love it. And it is such a hot topic right now, right? And you know, that keyword for, you know, our viewers and listeners out there, when you think of unstructured versus structured data, unstructured data until very recently has been very difficult uh, to really glean any, um, I guess, good conclusions from because of the difficulty of analyzing it, right? Right. But it's always much easier if it's quantitative, because that's when you can sort of apply mathematical formulas and different things to pull numbers out, right? Which as humans, we're very good at, uh, with the qualitative stuff, we're not. So it's just really neat. Uh, to talk to an organization that is diving into that side, working with universities, nobody makes you smarter uh, than people that are teachers, right? I mean, it's <laughs> one of those wonderful things that helps us get even better at what we're doing, and I'm sure that's been helpful. It has been. And, you know, uh, what's really interesting is when you look at coded data, you know, you're taking a paragraph and assigning, you know, quick phrases. That's what I mean by coding. So they can get into all of these comments about the account teams are not actively supporting us, we're not getting answers to questions, et cetera. So we would code that as account support, and then maybe a secondary code of 
of communication and, and maybe even a third level code. So just by definition of coding, you're summarizing. And, and that's really great when you need that 30,000 foot big picture because you can get up to your eyeballs and data and you, you, know, you can't see the forest through the trees. But AI and machine learning enable uh, us to do is you can really get at those nuanced findings and kind of uncover some emotions and things of more granularity than you can get to in a summarized statistical model. Advantages to both, obviously, but um, I, I just think that the technology is almost leapfrogging what we had built or started building originally in the predictive space, which was based on a multivariate algorithm using our statistical data. Yeah, it really is fascinating to watch, you know, how the world has gone by, right, just this very day. Um, I know you probably watched it as well, uh, the press release for Microsoft uh, releasing their uh, updated Bing engine. And, right. uh, you know, it's it's just fascinating to watch that actually become a normal part of what we're doing, where I think traditionally you probably haven't had those conversations with people really you know, kind of understanding what the what the concept was. I think I think that people are becoming much more knowledgeable and open uh, to the kinds of things that you're doing at Ask Forensics. I love it. Could could you maybe dive a little deeper and talk? You know, when we're looking at how the you know how it's using machine learning and artificial intelligence to do those predictions for B two B sales. Um, do you have any other insights you can share with us there? Well, um, in terms of the um, uh, machine learning artificial intelligence model. We're still designing it, so um, it's it's new. Uh, we are uh, in the process right now, for example, of looking at um, the outcome of a of the subsequent sales pursuit following our account health assessment. And we've done hundreds of these account health assessments. So let's say we uh, evaluated account X Y Z for our client in 2015 well when was that next sales pursuit let's say that was 2017 and what was the outcome of that was that won or lost so when we know those outcomes we can then connect wow these were the account health issues that were uncovered prior to the sales event and they won and so we you know they looked at they, they took a valuable account and and retained it and when you have enough data points on that you, you've got that statistical validity. And, and we've been able to identify about 145 outcomes uh, to the account health assessments. So that's enabling us to kind of have an algorithm, if you will, on uh, the unstructured data. So then that's a mapping process. So now you can look at comments, map those to uh, the algorithm and look at the comments and have um, some really good aggregate data uh, delivered. And we are currently uh, approaching several of our clients to be uh, uh, to do a proof of concept with us on, on, on their data and that we've um, addressed. Now, several years ago, we, we I, I alluded to building a prescriptive analytics model using our coded data. And we completed two proof of concepts using that model and it worked very well. Um, and it's the same data, just different uh, structures of it, if you will. So, um, uh, and what we're finding and what we find across the board is we uncover much more severity 
than our clients here. I mean, we better not be delivering huge surprises. Right. Sometimes we do, but I think directionally, our findings pretty much align with what our clients' big data shows or account teams, uh, you know, surmise themselves. But what we see in about 40 to 60% of the cases is much more severity. And there, therein lies those huge gaps that, uh, that we need to fill and enable our clients to take those corrective actions proactively. I love it. And, you know, earlier you were talking, uh, we've talked about it several times actually in this interview about working with education providers, you know, to get better, right? So can you tell us a little bit more about the collaboration uh, that you did with Miami University's Farmer School of Business and, and maybe how that's contributed to the development of the analytics engine? Well, we've provided uh, Dr. Scott Friend uh, access to anonymized data for about 15 years now, maybe 16 years. And so as he's uh, been, uh, you know, progressing through academia, he and colleagues um, at University of Nebraska um, and Miami of Ohio, perhaps several other universities that he's, he has colleagues working at, they've been using our data to publish. And uh, several years ago, Scott actually participated in a webinar with us and I was absolutely blown away with how he was able, using the open-ended, unstructured data, I guess you could say it's almost using AI before there were all of these tools available, to really get into these nuances that we just really could never uncover. And there's a richness there that can be very valuable to uh, sales and, and corporate leaders. So um, we, we've been in the background providing data or his team, along with other professors uh, that that we've uh, collaborated with over the years, and and uh, seeing it being published has been great. But like I said, I I realized that they're beginning to now build some really cool engines that get to the machine learning AI space. So that's what we're we are exploring the commercialization of that right now, and I'm structuring Ask Forensics. To be in a position to harness that uh that moving forward so in a sense we're, we're a two-tier company we're a professional services company on the one hand as we do our manual abuse our manual analysis and all that but then we're moving toward um almost a SaaS business when you look at the ai and ml components and the challenge very candidly is you know you got to build one while maintaining the other, right? So <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you know. and it sounds like you're very well positioned, though. I mean, the the good news is you have uh, such a history of rich data sets, and then the collaboration with a lot of very smart people, right? And and I think that does differentiate uh, differentiate from other options in the market. But maybe we can dive a little deeper into that. So, what, what do you think, really? How does your analytics engine, you know, differ from some other stuff that uh, might be in the marketplace that People are looking out for those, predicting those B2B uh, sales and retention outcomes. And, and, and looking at most of the VOC, Voice of the Customers programs that, that I've been exposed to, a lot of them are, are survey-based where you have, uh, you know, you select answers or, you know, you rate on a scale. And uh, those are great, great tools. And uh, in fact, I, I'm an advocate of companies having uh, various survey 
and, and investigation instruments because they all serve different purposes. But uh, you know, our, our approach is we're coming in with that open-ended expanded feedback. I mean, getting back to a comment earlier as we look at each uh, account evaluation, I mean, on average, they're encompassing a couple of hours of one-on-one -on -one feedback, pages of comments. And that's that's a lot of richness. So I think that's one differentiator is we are building this um, our new resources based on very rich data. Um, and uh, I'm sure there are other companies that uh, provide very valuable insights, uh, you know, using the same methodology we do, but uh, or we are, but um, I haven't run, run across them. But I think what makes us unique is our model is data driven, but the inputs are very, very rich. Yeah, I love that. And and I think it's important for folks out there to realize, right, that, you know, that these open-ended questions and allowing people to kind of, you know, give you their thoughts ad nauseum is really important because the problem with, I think, surveys, and you were very kind about some of these other ones that are out there, but the problem I run into with some of the surveys is that they're so structured that there's almost a bias inherently built into them for what they're looking for, right? That, you know, they're asking very specific data points which exclude you kind of rolling into other things that might be, you know, important, right? That there can be too narrow, you know, a focus. So I think that is definitely a huge, you know, value for what you guys are doing for your customers. And, and Wes, no, I appreciate that. And, and there's probably one other layer to this as well. And that is getting back to uh, my introduction. Our insights are gleaned from the C-suite leadership and a lot of survey engines, um, it, they're challenged in reaching that level. Right. Uh, so when you look at the richness and the executive level that we are reaching out to, uh, those are um, that that adds a richness and and perhaps a differentiation to what we do. And and I'll also submit this: our our intellectual property is our survey instrument, which is aligned with all of our um, aggregate platforms, be it open-ended or statistically based. And though they've been, our questions have been honed in starting back to the days when, you know, the late 80s. So it is so tried and true. We know exactly what to ask and how to probe and really get down to the insightful nuggets. So everything we've done from um, anecdotal qualitative insights to big data is all based on the same DNA in a common platform, which is very important getting back to the academic design of AI uh, and ML applications for our model to work. All of the questions have to be uniform so you can map things appropriately. Yeah. Wonderful. Hey, listen, we're getting to that uh, point in the interview, which uh, I like to say that in respect for your time in the audience, I have to ask the impossible question. <laughs> I call it the impossible question because if you only had one piece of advice uh, for those sitting on the fence about artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning and how you know it can help their business, what would that be? What's the, the one most important piece of advice that um, I'd like to share would be for companies to recognize the valuable client and prospects prospect insights they already have. Virtually every company we work with has insights, but they're siloed. They're siloed in different platforms. They're siloed in different lines of business. 
they're not easily accessible. And even with all of the proliferation of CRMs, it's very, at first it was surprising, it's no longer surprising to me, how disparate and, and difficult to obtain the information is. So for companies, the one piece of advice would be do a thorough data audit and aggregate all of the sources, platforms, and data points that you have, because then you're able to better leverage your uh, your vendors and uh, harness all that data to do some exciting predictive analytics and other types of analyses that can proactively help the sales force. And that, that term is proactive is key. Um, you know, you have to provide insights that support actions, not that just support information. If information is not acted on, uh, invariably you've only reinforced with your clients and prospects some of the concerns they had to begin with. So um, that one piece of advice to summarize, West would be uh, do a full data on it, audit on what you already have and see how you can best connect and synchronize all that data. Yeah, and I like how you say amalgamate that data and bring it all together, right? Get it out of the silos. And that's certainly one of the things that we live by at Tigerpaw, right? Uh, from the beginning of the sales process all the way to managing that customer to service the equipment is keeping all of that information together in one seamless platform to be able to make sure that it's accessible. Those insights are accessible, you know, whenever you want, right? And right. Uh, certainly the the stuff that you're doing on, you know, on the sales side, helping them understand how they're uh, winning opportunities, how they're losing them, where the gaps are, uh, hats off to you. It's a really cool business. I can't thank you enough for joining us today. And uh, certainly for all of our viewers and listeners out there, uh, make sure that you like and subscribe to this episode and to our resources page and wherever you're watching us, whichever platform. And until next time, keep learning. And so we come to the end of another exciting episode of Tiger Paw Radio. If you'd like to listen to more great learning content to help you grow your business, please be sure to visit www.tigerpaw.com and click on the resources tab. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast platforms to be sure you never miss another episode. And until next time, keep learning, keep growing, and keep that inner tiger strong.